All right, so I was coming out of the grocery <laughs> store the other day, okay. right? And I got hands full of bags of groceries, and I'm heading toward my car, and I get close, and I kind of get fiddle with my key, and I hit the unlock button, but I didn't hear it unlock. And I'm like, well, crap, I forgot to lock my doors when I went, and I hope everything's all right. So I get up to the, the truck, and I pull open the door, and I'm going to swing the groceries in and sit down kind of at the same time I'm throwing the groceries into the uh, passenger seat, right? Yeah. So I start to do that, and I'm swinging the groceries in, and I look in, and there's a family sitting in my truck. What? The mom in the front seat, her eyes are huge, <laughs> and she's staring at me like, oh, my God, what's happening? I know where this is going. So I look around. And in the back seat are two kids that are looking at me with the same look. <laughs> that this crazy tattooed guy is about to carjack us. So I'm standing there for what felt like forever, probably only a second or two, and then it dawned on me. My you, car is the you, one next to me. The wrong car. <laughs> they they had parked basically right in front of me. I'm I'm behind them. It's the same freaking vehicle, and I I go get in the wrong car. So was somebody in it? Yes. With, now, look, I've done that before. I've walked to the wrong car. Right. But I've never tried to get in with people in it. Yep. There were people in it. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I, so I apologize to whatever family was in the vehicle. So <laughs> That's great. All right. So you ready to do this, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> well, hello there, Matt. How are you? All of a sudden, we're in Mary Poppins or something. Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> He's a chimney sweep. <laughs> so, you doing all right, Matt? Yeah, I'm doing good. All right, good. Well, I'm doing good. Um, I just noticed a little bit ago that our Facebook page has broken the thousand likes mark. Man, that's incredible. It is. So thank you guys so much. That's amazing. Uh, keep those likes coming and keep sharing us. That's right. That's right. Let people know if you got if you got friends that dig this kind of stuff tell them absolutely you know i still meet people that don't know what a podcast is yeah yeah you so know. use that as a learning experience That's teach right. them teach them how to do it you know uh podcast is a growing medium yep and you know support everybody who's out here doing it in their spare time and enjoying it you That's know right. we got a bunch of friends who do it and you know spread the love Spread the podcast love. Um, another note is on October 20th, and we will beat this into the ground until you show up. <laughs> October 20th is our live event. So please come on out. It's going to be at Hail Dark Aesthetics here in Nashville. It's going to be with us, with Hillbilly Horror Stories, EVP Mediums, and Macabre Melts. And it's 10 bucks to get in. There's a link on our website. Go to graveyardpodcast.com. Click the link, go over and buy your tickets, and it'll be really good. A meet and greet, you know, you can get 
all the high fives you want, autographs, whatever you want from us. We'll have some stuff to give away. We'll have, you know, question time where you can ask us anything you want or the EVP medium guys. Um, just come on out and enjoy it. That's right. And uh, if if you're thinking, eh, I'm just going to hang out and may, maybe I'll go, maybe not, or I'll probably go and I'm going to wait. Don't wait. Right. Don't wait. Go go ahead and make your plans and get your tickets. It's going to be a lot of fun. If if especially if you're local, yeah, you know, don't think you're just going to show up and because everybody's going to think that, right? And you're going to walk up and they're going to be like, "Hey, we're full." It's not that we don't want you. It's not that we've limited the tickets. This is what this place can hold, right? So don't think that you can just wander in. Please go ahead and get your tickets. Come on. You know, hang out with all of us. It's going to be a really good time. And uh, if you're from, if you're coming from out of town, if you're on the fence, look, October is a great time to visit Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know we're you're coming for for this. You know, it's a it's a three hour deal, and but you're going to have you know the opportunity to come and, and spend a weekend in Nashville. There's tons of stuff to do in October. We got Hearst we, Ghost Tours you can take. Yeah. We, ghost tours, you know, everywhere. And and the Nashville walking ghost tour is mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's tons of stuff. We have some of the best haunted houses anywhere. So oh, yeah. if, you're, if you're into that kind of stuff, you know, the, you could probably do three, four haunted houses. Sure. In a, in a night. Sure. You know, there there's a ton. So and, make your plans. Come hang out with us. Visit Nashville. You know. You ha- you'll have a great time. Yep. And it is, you know, it's coming up on the Halloween holiday, my favorite holiday ever. Um, or or as Adam calls it, redecorating the house season. Amen, brother. Preach on. <laughs> um, I buy all my house decorations around <laughs> October. Um, and it's also will be just shortly after our one year anniversary. That's right. So come on out. You know, hang out with us, celebrate all those good things. Um, Don't miss out. All right. So in a little piece of cryptid news here, in April of this year, April 7th of 2018, in the Pine Barrens, and y'all will, if you know anything about cryptids, y'all will know the Pine Barrens are a pretty active place, Um, most notable the Jersey Devil in that area. Um, There was a possible daytime encounter with a Bigfoot. Now, this is from the BFRO site, and I will read you what the observer said. My husband and I were taking a woods cruise and were driving in the northern section of Brendan T. Byron Forest on St. Mary's Road. It came to a dead end, so we stopped to look around, and there was a pond and a little path, so we decided to walk our dog for a bit. We'd only gone in a little ways when we smelled kind of a musty mildew odor, typically not smelled in the woods. This kind of freaked my husband out, and he wanted to go back to the car. So we started back the way we came and then turned down Buckingham Whiting Road, drove this for a bit, and came across a little bridge. We stopped because I like taking pictures of the water. After a bit, we started to drive off. I'm driving, and in a split second, I saw something brown on two legs and about six feet tall, sprint behind the car in the area we were just in. I caught it in my rearview mirror. I was kind of thinking to myself that my eyes were playing tricks on me, 
but I just couldn't shake it. I stopped the car, and my husband told me to go in reverse. As we approached the area, he thought he heard branches snapping and a splash into the water. He didn't see anything, so he drove on. We just kept talking about what we saw, and if it was a bear, a a deer, or a person. I said it was definitely on two legs. It was quick, and it was light brown but thin. We drove a little more and turned around and went back. On our way back, I thought something was rubbing in my brakes because we heard a little wah, wah, wah sound. So we stopped, and he looked under the car and didn't see anything. He thought maybe it was what I saw that was making a warning call of some kind. So they witnessed this about six-foot-tall Bigfoot running across the road, and the Pine Barrens possibly jumping into the uh, river there. Yeah, going for a swim. Right, exactly. So that's pretty interesting, and it's going one of fishing. the— There you go, a fishing Bigfoot. Or, <laughs> Uh, it'd be using Bigfoot with one of little hats with all the lures on it, you know, standing out there. Yeah, the vest. <laughs> I see what, a, wearing waders. I see another graveyard tail shirt <laughs> in the future. Fly fishing Bigfoot. I was going to say, if they were out shooting basketball, it's a Biggie McBigfoot showed up, schooled yeah, us all. Right. This is Biggie's brother. <laughs> Cat can ball. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting because it was from April of this year, and it's one of the more yeah. recent ones. That's, I mean, that's 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 awesome. I mean, you know, we we talked about all these all these sightings of of Bigfoot, and it's like they were years ago, right? You know, this one was months ago. You know, yeah, just a few months ago. Yeah. Um. So they're. Uh, old Biggie's still being seen out yeah, there, no, yeah. cutting up. Um, so everybody knows our intro song. Yep. Um, that was written by a buddy of ours named Brandon, and Brandon has a band called Proteus. Now, the outro music that we're going to play today is a part of their new single that's coming out very soon. Um, so we're going to play part of it so you can hear, see if you like it, whatever. Um, please go follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. It's official Proteus band. And that's spelled P R O T E U S. They're kind of like, uh, a more electronic focused coheed in Cambria. So if that sounds cool to you, or you like the song at the end, please go check them out and give them a follow. That way you'll be up when their full album is released. Yeah. Um, so like I said, stick around at the end to hear part of, their new single that's coming out. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Tell us a story, Ranger Chat. Oh, okay. I could tell you about the time I locked eyes with Sasquatch or about my brush with the elusive Chupacabra. Then there was that encounter with the Mothman. Yeah, tell us about the Mothman. Of course, I once saw a lake monster and a sea monster on the same day. Wow. That's not even taking all the ghosts, aliens, and UFOs into account. You've seen all that as a park ranger. <laughs> no, son. Those are the creatures I've encountered in my cryptid crate. What's a cryptid crate? Cryptid crate is a monthly subscription box that arrives on your doorstep each and every month. It's filled with various cryptozoology and paranormal themed items such as t-shirts, hats, art, media, and other collectibles. I want a cryptid crate. Yeah, I want one too. You can get yours by visiting www.cryptidcrate.com. Sign up is quick and easy, and shipping is always free. I can't wait to get my cryptid crate, but for now, how about that story? 
All right, Matt. So we're back. What are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight uh, we're going to discuss what, uh, it, as I said, I was talking to Adam before the show. We've gotten more requests for this topic than just about anything else. Yep. And I, I don't know why, but it's cool. And so tonight we're going to talk about El Chupacabra. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. So all of you people that have been begging for this. Right. Here, here it is. Go. There you go. And then, you know, this is actually a legend that I grew up with growing right. up in Texas. This, I mean, you you came out of the womb hearing about the Chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because there's one sitting in the corner right. waiting. Yeah, the doctor mm-hmm. smacks you and goes, Chupacabra's in the corner. <laughs> That's why you're crying. <laughs> That's right. You know, has nothing to do with only, being hit or only anything. Only in Texas. Only in Texas. Yeah. But I was really surprised because, I, I mean, I can remember when I started hearing the term Chupacabra. And I, I was surprised that it, it it doesn't date back further than it than it does. Right, right. You know, I, I thought, oh, well, I'm just I'm just hearing about this now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hearing about it now because it's just happening now. <laughs> right. Right. You know, that, that that was kind of that was kind of strange. But um, the original uh, story of the Chupacabra originates only back to 1995. Mm-hmm. So the original attack that was attributed to the Chupacabra occurred in March of 1995 in Puerto Rico, eight sheep were found dead, apparently drained of blood, and the only injury to the sheep were three puncture wounds in the chest area. Now, later that year is the first sighting of a chupacabra. So in August of 95, there was an eyewitness, Madeline Tolentino, and she reported seeing a creature in the Puerto Rican town of Canavanas, when as many as 150 farm animals and pets were reportedly killed. She described a bipedal alien-like creature, gray or black in color, with spines sticking out of its back. Now, later descriptions of a chupacabra would describe something that is more like a small bear or dog-like creature, still adorned with with the spines or quills like in the original description so the name chupacabra uh which is translated as goat sucker from spanish was actually coined by a puerto rican comedian named severo perez who was working as a radio disc jockey in san juan so he was reporting on the cases and he you know this thing sucked the blood out of goats, so it's a uh, chupacabra. That uh, honestly, that's how a lot of um, creatures will get their name. A lot yeah. of cryptids or whatever, somebody makes a joke, and it sticks. Right. So from from 1995, all of these stories begin. Right, but Matt, there are some little weirdness things that happened a few years prior to that. Now, the phenomena of the chupacabra has also been associated with the Vampiro de Mocha, and this is from February of 1975. It was also in Puerto Rico, 
but it's a legend that tells of 15 cows, three goats, two geese, and a pig that were all found with puncture marks, and they were in Roca Barrio suburbs of Mocha. This sounds like the beginning of like a Grimm's fairy tale. It kind of does. 15 cows and three pigs. And a pig. It kind of does. <laughs> um, but they did autopsies on all these animals, and it showed that the blood had been drained from their bodies. The incident made headlines, and police blamed the deaths on stray dogs. And later, when a cow was found dead with similar marks like that on its skull, a newspaper then ended up calling the phenomena El Vampiro de Mocha. So basically the vampire of Mocha. Yeah. Um, so the Chupacabra is not the first blood sucking creature from Puerto Rico, but you know, it, it, it is the, the first of that description. As Matt was saying, most of this happened starting in the nineties. In the mid nineties, there were farmers in Kalama which is a mining town in the heart of Chile's northern desert area, and they awoke to find goats and sheep dead in their pens. And an unidentified predator had mutilated the necks. And all of the you know TV cameras and everything came out, and this was apparently the start of this chupacabra attack. Um, but nobody saw the creature. Finally, when they did, like Matt said, it was in 1995, and it kind of blew up from there. Now, as the attacks increased, it caused Lauren Coleman, and y'all all know Lauren and my affinity for his work, um, he termed the animal the single most notable cryptozoological phenomena of the past decade. He said, what's unique about the chupacabra is its crossing languages, which I think shows how small our world is getting. And it also is because during that time, the internet was right. starting to take a, a big foothold yeah. and it was being spread that way. Yeah. And I, I read uh, an article talking about that, that this was really the first internet monster. Mm -hmm. um, that if this, if this had come about in 1985, just 10 years prior, that it might not have taken off like it did. That's true. Because, I mean, you know, this was one of the first original viral things. Right. So, um, you know, pretty cool. Right. There were um, that series of attacks that started happening with the attack in 1995 that Matt mentioned. And there was a man named Mark Davenport, who is a paranormal researcher, and a video producer named Joe Palermo, who were actually in Puerto Rico at the time of the attacks, and they were filming a documentary. They said that the animal deaths were a continuous daily event. They said day and night over the radio and television, they were constantly talking about the chupacabra activity going on. People would wake up in the morning. They'd find a carcass of their four favorite rabbits that were completely sucked dry of blood and just laying on the ground. Now, in each of these cases that were studied, local veterinarians said the cause of death was due to puncture wounds under the right side of the neck. The wounds were about the diameter of a drinking straw and three to four inches or seven to ten centimeters in length. Now, in March 1996, there was a Spanish talk show named Cristina that aired the story about the chupacabra. And supposedly immediately following this, there were a tremendous amount of sightings that happened across 
Latin America, and the United States. Yeah, so you get to the 2000s, and reports begin to surface uh, of livestock livestock attacks in the southern U.S., and they're very similar to those that are occurring in Latin America. Now, again, these animals, they were exsanguinated, but not consumed. So it appeared that the chupacabra had found its way into the United States, but there was a little bit of a twist to this Americanized chupacabra. So like in Puerto Rico, there were sightings, but this time they were not of a strange alien type creature, but of a monster that was more uh, terrestrial. Uh, the American chupacabra ran on four legs, had leathery skin, a protruding snout, and sharp fangs. It looked, for all intensive purposes, um, like a really weird dog. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, it was around this time that researchers and cryptozoologists were were having to sit back and say, hmm, you know, what, what could this really be? So... What were the odds that there would be two different creatures doing the same attacks on livestock? Right. Um, you know, could there be two, two chupacabras? Right. And was the creature that was seen in Puerto Rico misidentified? Was it something something different? And the descriptions weren't as accurate. And we're seeing it now more in the in the United States. And we're starting to merge the two descriptions. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not maybe alien-like; it's more dog-like, but it still has a lot of the same characteristics as the original one in Puerto Rico. So now that they're in a quandary because they don't, they don't know. Right. Like, is this the same thing? Is it two different things? Is it, you know, something that we already know about, but it's been, it's a hybrid or it's you know, been changed by something. Right. You know, right. this one looks a little different than this one, but it's still the same creatures. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we then get into talking about some of the varying descriptions um, of the Chupacabra? According to Madeline Tolentino, who was the original witness that Matt discussed in 1995, she drew a picture um, and notated out beside it all the, the different descriptions and stuff of it. And this is the one that you'll see, you know, if you see a chupacabra anywhere like this little Kripkins creature that I've got sitting here on the desk now, um, our little mascot for the episode, it's going to look like this. She said it was four to five feet tall, bipedal. It had big slanted red eyes, small holes for nostrils and a lipless mouth. There were no ears. There were just holes on the side of the head. Very thin arms with three-fingered hands that had long claws on it. It had phosphorescent, bright-colored spines running down the backbone that would change colors as it went down. Not like the spines would flash colors, but each spine was a different color. The body was covered in a fine gray hair, and it had strong feet and claws. So this is a description that everybody kind of ran with from the beginning Uh and Matt, you and I were talking because there was a movie out about that time called species. Right. Yeah. If if you've, if you've seen this movie, um, the description is similar to the creature in that movie. 
not exact, but it's similar. And it's interesting to note that the movie Species came out in Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. just prior to the reports, or at least uh, Madeline's report. Right, right. So, you know, there is that question, was she influenced some? Um, You know, we'll talk about it more later as well, but, you know, Matt and I, I think, both feel that she saw something, uh-huh. but her her idea may have been a little skewed just from seeing that. It was similar to what she's describing, but some of the finer details may have been yeah. derived from that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you see something and it reminds you of something else that you'd seen recently. Right. Then when you remember it and you're describing it, your brain may be squishing the two together because right, you correlated right. them. And right. so your description may be skewed a little bit because you're, you're describing something based on its similarities to something else, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So you, you might not be giving as accurate a description of a, of something as you would be if you didn't have, something similar in your brain already. Right. You subconsciously melded the two yeah. together. But I'm I'm pretty convinced that she saw something. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, there was a soundbite from an Associated Press video at the time that a guy said that there are two large animals. They're as large as a man. Uh, I saw them from afar. They looked like big apes, kind of like a mandrel, but I couldn't distinguish their features. Now, a mandrel for... Those of you who don't know is a large monkey like it's considered one of the old world apes. Um, it's the kind of grayish monkey with the big nose and it's kind of a reddish blue mm-hmm. on the nose. Um, type in mandrel and you'll see it M-A-D-M-A-N-D-R-I-L-L. Um, but the the typical description of a chupacabra sighting today you you don't get basically one concise description. Um, it varies from this kind of alien archetype description to like Matt was saying, the more dog like yeah. description. And, you know, we don't want to focus much on the dog like description because we're doing the Puerto Rican chupacabra, but we do need to touch on that right, some. Right. Um, you know, if you type in chupacabra, um, one of the first things that you'll get is chupacabra sightings in Texas because there is a lady in Texas that supposedly killed a chupacabra that she had seen multiple times running through her field, and she has the body. And it is a canid, canid-looking animal, and... Researchers will say coyote with mange. Uh-huh. That's the go-to answer. Coyote with mange. Search Google search coyote with mange. Yeah. Go ahead and type that in right now. When that comes up, yes, it's a hairless coyote. But look at the skin. Look at the texture of the skin. The skin is riddled with scabs and lesions and everything because mange is a mite Uh that 
eats at the skin and the hair falls out and they scratch it out. All of these that these people are seeing don't have that textured skin. They are a smooth skin, smooth grayish skin. The features are slightly off from a coyote. Um, the facial structure is different and the paws are different. Yeah. And the movements are different from a coyote. Right. Re- regardless of what affliction it may have. Right. You know, they don't necessarily hop. And a lot of descriptions say that this thing hops like a kangaroo. And so some of the, the some of the photos I've looked at, they do have they do look kind of kangarooish, mm-hmm. you know, because there is a tail, you know, it, it is kind of curled up, almost marsupial like. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like a kangaroo dog. Right. Really hybrid. long leg yeah. back legs, which if you if you start thinking on that, that term. It's not anything like the Puerto Rican one at all. Right. You know, right. it's it's a, t- a totally different animal. Right. So one of the things Matt and I had discussed, and we, we kind of feel we need to put out there for the more U.S., the Texas kind of version of the Chupacabra, is it's most likely, in our opinion, you know, a different kind of a different species, maybe a crossbred species that we don't know about um, that we're just now finding. But Matt has some information on what mange does to kind of explain why we don't think it's a coyote with mange. Yeah. So sarcoptic mange is what we're talking about. And, and it is the most common explanation for chupacabra attacks or even bodies of supposed chupacabras. And like Adam said, it's caused by a mite that burrows into an animal's skin, and the result is an itchy rash, hair loss, and reddened or darkened skin that becomes thickened like leather. Animals with mange suffer self-inflicted wounds caused by the incessant scratching, giving them a much more grisly appearance. They're usually gaunt, you know, weakened, so they may not be moving like the animal would. I mean, mange can attack, you know, any animal. I mean, coyotes, right. wild dogs, mountain lions, bears, uh, they've all been found dead or shot to death by ranchers. Uh, and, they're, and they're gaunt and hairless, and they look really different from their healthier selves. Uh, and these discoveries only feed the legend. Sure. You know, when when they find these animals that don't look like what they would if they were healthy and alive. Mm-hmm. It really fuels the fire here. Um, there's a researcher named Benjamin Radford who spent five years investigating sightings uh, for his book, Tracking the Chupacabra. Now, Radford agreed that mange was to blame for many of the sightings, and he goes on to explain that an animal that's infested with mites does become weakened and has a more difficult time hunting. So chasing livestock is a lot easier for a weakened animal than trying to catch a rabbit. Mm -hmm. So it makes them easy prey. And as for the puncture holes in the neck, Radford says that it's not really uncommon for an animal like a coyote 
to kill by attacking a larger animal at the neck, um, but then not to consume it. So, I mean, he's not saying that these animals are living on blood, which, you know, that takes us down a whole nother path that there aren't really any mammals that could survive very long on a diet of blood. Other than the vampire bat. Right. Other than the vampire bat. It's the only one we know of. um, So if there was, if there was a creature that was surviving on blood, it's not a known mammal. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's the idea that it's an undiscovered species. Um, But he says there is a really good possibility that, if a weakened animal attacks, um, you know, a cow, the cow could get away, but yet be wounded enough that it would die later and then be found. And so now here, here's this, you know, dead cow Mm -hmm. with, you know, the puncture wounds on the neck and a lot of blood loss, but it's not been eaten. So your assumption would be that, you know, it was attacked by something that wasn't a regular predator. Right. Because a regular predator would have eaten it. Right. So Radford's saying not necessarily. Okay. So he also goes on to say that the animals being drained of blood um, may be a little misleading. He says that when an animal is found... In these cases, it's rarely examined by necropsy, which is an autopsy, but on an animal. Uh, That's the only way he says that you could determine if an animal had actually been drained. Right. Okay. So he's saying, you know, a rancher finds a dead animal, you know, sees puncture wounds, cuts it open. No blood comes out and says, oh, this animal's been drained. And he blames that on lividity. You know, the animal's been there. Gravity pulls the blood to the lowest point. There's no heartbeat, so there no blood is going to come out. Sure. Look, that's science. I get that. That's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, to anything. Okay. But does it have to necessarily be drained, you know, for there to be an animal that's, you know, feeding on it? You know, I don't know. I mean, a cow's got a lot of blood. Right. You know, something that is the size of what the descriptions of a chupacabra are. Would it have to drain all of it? I don't think it would be able to, you know. You know, it's going to sound like, you know, when you get to the bottom of a milkshake, you know. Yeah, right. You know, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. Right. You know, so I I don't don't necessarily, I don't like his explanation. I understand his explanation for this. I don't necessarily like it. Right. Because I think it's it's just more of, it's, it's just. Pushing all these, you know, reports away. Mm-hmm. Just going, ah, eh, that's, this is what it is. Yeah. You know, it, it, my take on it is, is you spent five years investigating these, these sightings and everything. And this is what you've got. It's, it's good. I think it probably explains a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't think it explains all of it. No. You no. know, you're, you're making assumptions about a creature that we don't know. Right. Exactly. You know, and we've talked about that. A lot before on different cryptids and stuff is, you know, when a quote professional is looking at something, doing the research on something, if they can't find evidence of it, 
they immediately brush it aside and say the witness is crazy. The witness is hallucinating. They're seeing something that's not there. You know, all it is is blank. And they go for the easiest, quickest. Oh, it's a coyote with mange. Well, you know, do your findings exactly match a coyote with mange? Well, no, but no, no, no. Don't give me the well, but no, you know, because you're doing exactly what you're saying these people are doing. It it really burns me up when researchers won't give them the time of day because it's like your job as a researcher or a scientist is to say, at the moment, my findings do not prove the existence of a chupacabra, but... If we get more information, you know, I will still be open to getting more information. And if we get more information and it shows that there's a chupacabra, great. You know, also, if we get more information and it disproves it, great. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to brush it aside so quickly. A lot of these, like you were saying, they didn't do necropsies on a lot of these animals, you know, and they didn't do necropsies on a lot of the chupacabra bodies that were found in the United States. They just looked at it from a video or something and said, ah, it's it's a coyote with mange or oh, it's a raccoon with mange. Really? Yeah, because I'm I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a biologist, but it doesn't look like any case of mange that I have researched. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I've looked up a lot of animals with mange this week (laughs) and my history. Google history looks kind of weird this week, but. You know, you're picking, you're trying to do Occam's razor and it's not working for you. Right. You know? And and don't, don't get us wrong. We're not, we're not bashing Benjamin Radford's research Absolutely or, or not. his book. No. I mean, this man spent five years in Puerto Rico researching this. He's got a lot of really good data. And I think he explains a lot of the mm-hmm. cases, but I What I don't like is the idea that if I can't prove the existence of something, then it must not exist. Right. You know, you you can't just say, well, I can't prove it. So therefore, it's not real. Right. You know, I I, I just I think that's just an easy way out. It's yeah, it is. It is. You know, when you're stumped, that's what you say. You know, I know. And I understand I could come up with anything. I could come up with, you know, this devil chickens. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, hey, man, there's these devil chickens that, you know, live out behind my house. You know, you, I can't get a picture of them, but I've seen them. Mm-hmm. And man, they're creepy looking. And I can go through a big description and I can get people out there to hunt and find and I can show them scratch marks or, or whatever, mm-hmm. feathers, who knows. But anyway. I, I could come up with this and I could say, well, you can't disprove that these devil chickens exist. So, you know, I think they, they're real. I, I understand you can do that. But again, we're, we're talking about pigeonhole, pigeonholing something into, well, this, this happened and this is what we're going to use to explain it, but it doesn't explain everything. You know, the puncture wounds. You know, three puncture wounds mm-hmm. it has been a really common thing that's reported. Right. You know, if, if a coyote or a bear, you know, or 
a mountain lion or anything else like that attacks, you know, a larger animal, even at the neck, the wounds are going to be different than that. Sure. Sure. You know, they're, Either they're in not, twos or fours. Right. They're, they're not going to look like, you know, if you, you're going to see puncture wounds, but they're going to be, they're going to be teeth wounds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be something that, that is familiar. Right. And plus my thinking is if, if you're a rancher and you find, you know, one of your sheep dead or, or multiple sheep dead in this manner, you have seen animals attacked by coyotes, right? you know, or wolves or anything else. You know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. This doesn't fit. No. You know, mange or no mange or whatever. The attack itself doesn't fit. Right. So if I'm a rancher, you know, I, I'm, I'm throwing up alarms because this, this doesn't match anything that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of attack. It isn't something that, you know, I've ever, I've ever seen out on my ranch. So it's got to be a different kind of animal. Right. Sure. Right. And, and that's like, you know, we said just a minute ago, it, you know, not saying it's a mythological creature or an alien or, you know, we're about to get into some theories. So you'll see some of these other uh, theories that people have, but not saying that it's that, but it's very possible that it could be a hybrid uh-huh. animal that we didn't know these two animals could mate. And now we have, you know, the the spawn of these two animals mating. Yeah. Um, it could be sterile. And that's why it we don't see a ton of them. That's why they're not breeding and creating more of whatever this animal labeled as a chupacabra is. So you're getting this one here, one there just because of that. But, you know, you can't discount it as a known animal that just has a disease. You know, it doesn't really work for me. Um, So we can get into the theories here that are supposed to explain the chupacabra. And there's a whole bunch of theories, but we'll touch on a few of them that will match some of the stories that we have coming up later. Um, one of the more outlandish, I guess, claims is that it's a modified, and we're going back to the Puerto Rican uh-huh. description, not the U.S. Uh, description, not the dog-like description, but it's a modified vampire bat or an extraterrestrial pet that was brought to Earth by aliens. This one I, I like. I don't like it in the sense of I think it explains it, but I like it in the sense of it makes it's, me giggle. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yep. I, I would like to think that we have, you know, we're like we were talking about Bigfoot. People think that they dump Bigfoots here because they are a criminal mm-hmm. and we're like the uh I guess yeah. now we're the pound as it's well. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, it's like escape from New York. Yeah. You know? it's, yeah. it's like, oh, well, you know, we're going to turn planet Earth into our prison. Right. Uh, prison and pound. We're going to put yeah. our pets that don't get along well here. Um, and maybe somebody will adopt them on Earth. But like we're saying, the the puncture wounds come in threes. So it doesn't match any of the carnivores that we generally know of that have two fangs on the top or the two 
top and two bottom fangs. Yeah, something like this would have to have like like a jack o' lantern mouth. Yeah, you know, two two fangs on top, one on one the sticking up in the middle. Right, something that's maybe been drinking too much Mountain Dew and <laughs> lost a lot of its teeth. Um. Oh man. <laughs> uh, another theory uh, says that the chupacabra is part of a top secret government experiment in the El Yunque National Forest in Puerto Rico. And the town of Canovanas that Matt mentioned earlier is only a few miles from the border of the El, El Yunque. So they're saying that, you know, and and I've got a story here coming up that'll kind of explain that a little more, but they're saying that in El Yunque there is a base where experiments were done on animals and they created this hybrid government experiment creature that got out. And Matt was talking a little bit ago about um, Madeline and a interview that she had. Yeah. So just, just at the end of last year, a, a journalist was in Puerto Rico and had the opportunity to, interview in a in a manner um interview madeline and she uh, she made a, a comment that really struck a chord with me she's talking about this 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 research facility um and in 1989 when hurricane hugo hit you know it devastated puerto mm-hmm. rico and it damaged this facility and so if you're if you're already thinking they're doing genetic research or they were studying certain animals that you know maybe weren't known mm-hmm. and, and they had them there that they could have escaped, you know, after the damage from the hurricane. Right. Because Hugo was in eighty nine and then what we know of is to be chupacabra attacks begin in ninety five. Right. You know, so so there's a there's a timeline there. And, you know, she she really plays into that timeline of something happened that was related to this research facility. In Mm -hmm. fact, she goes on to say that it's it's widely believed throughout Puerto Rico that that facility had something to do with this. Right. So whether it was a genetic experiment gone wrong, or I've even seen that it was a genetic experiment to to weaponize an animal, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that I don't know if I buy that, but whatever, um, or or just the study of um, of an unknown animal that was done in a top secret manner, and the hurricane caused enough damage that it escaped. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to think, well, it, 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 there must have been multiples. Yeah. You know, because the attacks continued and, you know, they began to spread. So something was able to reproduce. Right. Um, but, but you know, as Adam said, you know, some type of strange hybrid, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're trying to cross, you know, two different types of animals that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we weren't aware that could be bred together. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know much about interspecies breeding. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to, you know, these type of, I'm, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take animal husbandry, 
right in college <laughs> but um you know the, the idea it's is interesting right so could you know could that be the case yeah i mean yeah absolutely it could be yeah you know we don't we don't really know can't and, argue against it too much you know, and you know the u.s government's not talking right so <laughs> um so one of the other theories is that Puerto Rico is home to a large population of rhesus monkeys. Um, they're not native to Puerto Rico, um, but they are known to walk on their hind legs. They were brought there to the island for research back in the 30s, and several dozen of them managed to escape and then bred, whatever. So they're saying maybe it's a misidentified rhesus monkey. Um, peanut butter monkey. Exactly. Peanut butter and chocolate monkey. <laughs> Uh, the best, I love that. the best kind of monkey. Matt's made that joke four times. Tonight. I know, I love it. <laughs> it I, I've been, I've been making it forever. Well, it, I just peanut butter and chocolate are my favorite, like flavor combination, and it just makes me sad that I can't have a peanut butter and chocolate monkey. You know yeah, why? Why haven't they made this? I don't know. Talking I about know, look, I know species, it's spelled different, but it's pronounced the same, and that makes it funny. Right. And it's funny to me. <laughs> and talking DNA and gene splicing, make me a pet that tastes like peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> Why not? And Come in, on. instead of petting it, I'll just lick it. Lick you it. know, yeah. it'll, it'll be great. It won't be weird at all. No. Um, a lot of skeptics will say that the incidents are nothing more than attacks from ordinary animals like wild dogs or coyotes, like we've said earlier. Um, and, and sure, that's possible. It, it's very possible. It's just these attacks are so much different than what we would know they would normally be. Right. And they don't. Sure, it's possible, but the animal would have to have learned a new way to kill its prey or something would have happened yep. happened mentally for it to change its hunting strategy. Um, but. There are similar legends of other mythical creatures and stuff that Matt found that kind of go along um, tangentially to the Chupacabra. Yeah, so there are other legends around the world that are similar, not necessarily the same, but they but they are similar. They share qualities. So, um, some people like to link these legends with, well, we've just kind of taken these legends to make a new legend. So the, the first one is, uh, is the grunch, not the Grinch, but the grunch and the grunch is, uh, or, or called the grunch road monster is a new Orleans based legend that has a lot of similarities to a chupacabra. The legend describes the Grunch as a cross between a reptile and a dog, which is very similar to the original sighting. Um, it's often described as um, kind of a goat-like creature, you know. So now it's a reptile, dog, goat. See, I was coming up with a, a name like a rog dial, yeah, or something. But now you just screwed it up, and I don't dog have dog a dial. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go talk a dial or something. I don't know. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's usually it's gray or black in color, and it has sharp spines along its back and leathery or scaly skin. Uh, it's also said that the grunch can drain the blood and sometimes entire organs through a single hole. So, 
Uh, it's got a it's got a pretty cool that uh, is very similar pretty cool kill technique there, um, but it does differ from the chupacabra in that it supposedly has human like qualities, uh, in that it can open doors and use tools. So a, a little smarter on yeah. you know a little more a little a little, little more evolved and right. you know it's it's got it's got some hands that it can use. Um, another another legend is the the Puchin of Chile. Now the Puchin. It shares the chupacabra's vampire-like qualities, uh, but it's a lot different in appearance. Instead of a dog, the the puchin is described as a winged serpent. And supposedly, the puchin has the ability to shapeshift into a more traditional animal form. So if it could shapeshift into something that is more reptilian or more canine Mm -hmm. um, from its actual form of a winged serpent and then you know drain the blood from one of its victims you know that's that's where the similarities are right so it could Um, be seen in that form and they would think it's a chupacabra when it's in kind of the reptilian form killing right and then it gets away and and changes back into its regular winged serpent form so and you know and both of these legends are still in the general area Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Southern United States, South America, you know, so we're we're still in this region somewhere between Northern South America and the Southern U.S. and, and Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, but we go on the other side of the world and you find a creature that is the Sigbin. Now, the Sigbin is a creature in Philippine mythology, and it's said to come out at night to suck the blood of its victims from their shadows, it says it walks backwards. It has the head lowered between its hind legs, and it has the uh, the ability to become invisible to other creatures, especially humans. So it resembles a hornless goat, but it has really large ears, which can clap like a pair of hands. It has a flexible tail that can be used as a whip. And the Sigbin is said to admit a nauseating odor, which some of the reports of a chupacabra sighting also have reports of a really foul smell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, again, a, a creature that sucks blood and this one smells really bad. Um, it, it the the descriptions of its physical form are more along the lines of what we think of when we think of the the dog like. Chupacabra. Right. Right. Um, you know, but this is a legend from essentially the other side of the world. Right. So these are important because it's it's setting a precedent for a legendary creature that has vampire like qualities, mm-hmm. you know, reg- regardless of its form. And then some of these are similar. Um you know, it's a it's a blood sucking creature, and again, as Adam said earlier, the only known mammal we know that lives on a blood diet is the vampire bat, right. and it's small and it's know. little, and it, it you know it's certainly not walking around on all fours or hopping like a kangaroo mm-hmm. or has a big long whip like tail, um, you know. So it's it's giving people the idea that these creatures do exist, right? So. You see these attacks, you see, so you have sightings of, 
of an unknown creature or a misidentified creature or, you know, something that's completely alien to this planet. Right. And if you've already got an idea that there's these these blood sucking, you know, beasts, then this is just another one of those. Right. And I I highly suggest you guys go look up the Sigbin that Matt was just talking about. He was showing me some pictures, and that's an awesome-looking creature. Oh, yeah. It really is. It looks like, if you're a a fan of Pokemon, Mm -hmm. it looks like something that could be one of the Pokemon. Yeah, not quite as cute. No, not quite as cute at all, but very similar. So we've got, we kind of compiled a list of some of the more recent chupacabra sightings and these are all from 2017 so this was very recent it's not just in the 90s this is more recent and we'll kind of go through we'll breeze through them here before we get into some other stories so this one is in february of of 2017 in victoria texas on highway 185 and guadalupe road in victoria texas a resident reportedly spotted a chupacabra Following the tip of a Crossroads Today viewer, the news station went to the location and found an animal lying on the side of the road. It had the paws of a dog, but the body of a hyena. So again, we've got kind of a cross mm-hmm. going, a, a kind of a crossbred type animal. Um, in March of 2017, in Olancho, Honduras, residents of, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher Come on, this. butcher it. Las Aguejas in Olancho, Honduras, worried after finding a dead bull without eyes or a tongue. According to La Tribuna, residents saw an ugly white animal prowling the pastures believed to be El Chupacabra. In May of 2017, Choloma, Honduras, May 6, 2017, a creature had killed 35 animals in the Monterey de Choloma, a municipality of Cortez, Honduras, residents feared that the animal, which disappeared as if by magic, would eventually hurt humans, especially children. In May of 2017, Cordoba, Argentina. For, for months, people living in Charbonnier in Cordoba saw animals attacked In May, a man took a photo of an animal that he described as a big bat like the size of an eagle that can attack horses and cows. So it's kind of these sightings have kind of ran the gauntlet of just kind of all over the place. But they're all a a blood sucking Mm -hmm. creature. Yeah, exactly. And they continue throughout 2017 in in June and. Nagato, Ecuador, 59-year-old Casimiro Flores believes that a creature that he fought off was a chupacabra. So this is actually an attack on a human. So one day he heard a loud noise, he said, that sent chills up his spine. When he turned around, said the man was about five foot seven, and he saw a creature would look like a brown dog with pointed ears that reached his waist. So he a was big dog. Yeah. I mean, he he was trapped uh, by the animal and it attacked and drug him around. And Casimiro grabbed a stone and threw it at the creature's forehead. And he said the creature let out a cry and it ran away. So 
you know, that one could have been, you know, anything. Right. Um, but obviously if you live in an area where there's a chance that you could be attacked by something that you already knew about, Mm -hmm. you would probably know what was attacking you. Right. And he didn't. It wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. So in 2017 in Riverside, California, um, in July, Gary Shuker reported that his cat ran inside their home and he looked outside and saw what he says is, quote, the ugliest looking thing he'd ever seen. Staring right back at him, he says about 80 feet away. He said it had teeth jutting out in every direction, rippled skin, and a tail like a rat or a possum. Now, Shuker said it looked nothing like a coyote. And it was also at least two feet uh, longer or more than the biggest coyote he had ever seen. Now, Shuker was not the only one who had spotted this creature. There were several reports in the Box Spring Mountain Territory of something that matched uh, Shuker's description. Mm -hmm. So in August of 2017, we're going to go on the other side of the country to South Carolina in Santee. Now, while, while golfing one day at the Santee Cooper Country Club, a man named Doug Stewart took a photo of an animal that some believed was actually a chupacabra. Uh, in the Facebook post, Stewart said that the animal was most definitely not a dog. But commenters weighed in with their different theories, saying it was actually a coyote or fox with mange. So we haven't really talked about foxes. Right. You know, but, uh, you know, a, a fox is going to be a good bit smaller Right. Than a coyote, typically. Mm -hmm. um, there is a creature called a cat fox that was not, was only recently, you know, discovered. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a cat fox, hell, just look at a fox. It, it doesn't really match any of these descriptions. No. You know, a, a fox is usually more low to the ground. Yep. Shorter. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, even with mange, if it had mange, I could see where that could explain the long tail. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a fox has, you know, even gray foxes, red foxes have more of a, of a poofy tail. Right. And so if, if, it's, if it's got mange, then the tail could become, you know, hairless and look more like a rat tail. Mm -hmm. I, I, I suppose. Right. You know, I'm just, I'm guessing here. Um, so I, I, maybe, um, but you know, again, I think if, uh, if he was out golfing, it's going to be daylight. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to see something that he's not able to readily identify, you know, and if you go and look at this picture, uh, you're kind of, it kind of put me on the fence. I'm not really sure what it is. Right. So right. we're going to move a little bit further North. Uh, to North Carolina in April 2018. That is this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this one is very recent. This comes from a photo taken by a wildlife camera in the backwoods of North Carolina. Now, the photo was part of a state wildlife project in which trap cameras were used to capture images of local animals at night. So although the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission they dismissed this photo as a coyote with mange again. 
the local residents really weren't that sure that that's what it was. And so Anthony Owens of Hendersonville, North Carolina, told the newspaper The Observer that he and his uncle saw something very similar before. He said, and this is a quote, said, what we saw still makes us get chills. He said, I assure you, it is no coyote with mange. The thing almost disappeared right before our eyes, and we were within 20 feet of it. He said, it was gone that fast. He said, my uncle's coonhound ran from this creature whimpering. He said, it's real, I assure you. So, again, we're, we're talking about photographic evidence of something that, you know, authorities are just passing off as another coyote with mange or another mm-hmm. animal. But people that have seen similar creatures are saying there is no way. Right. You know, they're not just basing it off the photo. You know, they're saying we've seen these things. Yeah. We don't know what they are. You know, it's fun to call them a chupacabra, mm-hmm. but it certainly isn't a coyote. Right. You know, with it's or without weird. mange. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something totally foreign to us. Right. So. And that that's cool when you get locals that see something and they're like, you know, not saying it's a chupacabra, but it's something weird. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, you know, Adam and I discussed this before we started the show. Um, you know, our thinking is what was seen in 95 in Puerto Rico and the reports in the U.S. and maybe even through Latin America. It's not the same thing. Right. You know, they, they've, they've all been kind of bunched into this this chupacabra, but it's most likely not the same creature. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it just does. The, the descriptions are too different. You know, even though the attacks are are this this vampire type attack. um, It doesn't sound like it's the same creature at all. Right. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about something that's more reptilian, more alien like in 1995 in Puerto Rico to something that could be a, a, a hybrid mammal or, you know, an undiscovered species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to wrap my head around a North American mammal that has not been discovered. You know, if we're talking about some areas that are more remote, you know, it's like rainforests. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, there's there's animals there that people haven't discovered. I guarantee it. They they find new species of, you know, insects and birds and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, North America and even Latin America is so populated. Mm-hmm. I would think by now somebody would have been able to identify a new species of mammal. So I, you tell me what you think, Adam, but I, I'm thinking something along the lines of, of a hybrid as far as, you know, what, what has been reported in the U S and, and in Mexico and, and Honduras. Yeah. That, that kind of fits my, my thinking, um, is that we've got two animals that we, you know, did not know could mate or would mate and produce viable offspring that are mating out of either, habitat loss and they're coming in contact with each other or 
you know, maybe they've been doing it for a while, but due to habitat loss, we're now seeing it more and they're coming into our areas. We're going into their areas. Um, and kind of like I said before, maybe they're sterile, mm-hmm. like, you know, a horse and a donkey and the offspring is sterile. Um, so that's why we're not seeing just this flood of what we're calling chupacabras out there. We're seeing an animal here, an animal there. Um, but I, I do believe that the North American chupacabra is a hybrid creature of some sort. And if we would do good genetic DNA testing on these, I think we could figure it out, but it gets brushed under the rug by scientists because they don't want to feel like they're giving any credence to a myth. Right. And, you know, I, I think they're missing an opportunity to find something that might be new or might be, you know, a, a big discovery for science yeah. out of pride or something. Yeah. And, you know, go that go that extra mile. Uh-huh. What, I mean, we waste a lot of money on a lot of stupid research. You know, do something like that. I don't think it's stupid research. Do something like that. You may find something new. That's right. You know, it, it may be a discovery that we need to find and you're, uh, you know, relegating it to the realms of these crazy hillbillies that, you know, see something. I see it on their ranch. They don't know what it is. It's a, it's a coyote with mange. You know, don't don't do that. Give it some give it some research, you know. Um, it, to me, totally different, like you said, than the original Puerto Rican yeah. chupacabra. So, yeah. So getting back to the Puerto Rican, it's a, a chupacabra. It, it's a, it's a chupacabra of a different color. Right. <laughs> L- right. Literally and figuratively. Right. You know, so the, the, the theories behind that are a lot more fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, when we've touched on them, you know, the idea that it was a government experiment uh, or that it was an alien. Right. In in some respect. Right. Um, Because it is it is so different and it's and it's unique. It is alien in that in the certain definition. Yeah. And and it's unique to, you know, to the the, to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there we're really not seeing reports of this alien, you know, appearing one in other parts of the world. No, you get maybe the the one off here or there, but right. for the most part, it's the more uh, canid looking mm-hmm. one. Um, now we do have some uh, other stories to get into. Uh, one of them actually comes from a listener of ours who emailed us earlier, and she said we could read her story out. And her name is Amanda B. Won't do the full last name, Amanda, but thank you for sending in your story. Um, It was quite interesting. Um, She says, when she was a younger teenager, maybe 12 or 13, I was visiting Southern California with my family. My grandparents lived in SoCal and had friends who lived beside a gorgeous orange orchard. That's a hard thing for me to say for some reason. Gorgeous orange orchard (laughs) in the country. Thanks for putting that tongue twister in there, Amanda. Um, We were spending the night with my grandparents' friends and hanging out in the pool after dinner when we heard what sounded like a baby crying. 
she I'm not going to use her name, but she asked the missus what was making the noise. And she said it was the sound of rabbits being attacked by coyotes. And she kind of rushed us into the house late that night. I heard the crying again, but it was much closer, like it was right outside my window. I went to the window, which faced the orchard, and I saw a figure in the rows of trees. It was about the size of a big dog, had a flat face with round glowing green eyes, skeletal nubs along its back, and a short tail. It was crouched over a rabbit carcass, and it stared at me for what felt like a long time, but really could have only been a few seconds. The creature turned and ran into the trees, and I remember being shaken. She says, I've seen coyotes and dogs, and what I saw was neither. It had no fur, just a mottled dark skin, and the roundest glowing eyes. She's convinced that it was a chupacabra uh, in Southern California that was hunting rabbits and hares. So that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. Southern California, and it's, you know, this one, it kind of has the little bits of both of the the creatures. You know, it, it hits more of the Puerto Rican because uh-huh. of the the nibs going down the back uh-huh. and, you know, it crouching over something and kind of having a flat face. It doesn't have the canid look to it. Yeah, and that's a pretty awesome story. So th- thanks, Amanda, for sharing that with us. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's really intriguing to to consider the idea that there would be you know an alien like creature you know that's roaming around you know Latin America the mm-hmm. southern United States South America you know attacking livestock right you know and just just saying that out loud just says oh yeah that's a great story mm-hmm. you know and they are great stories. You know, if people are seeing exactly what they describe, you know, then we've got a creature on our hands that, you know, no, nobody's been able to capture or kill, mm-hmm. you know, or, or truly identify. Right. You know, um, it, it's, it's fun to talk about, you know, I, I realize that it, it's, it's hard to it's hard to believe at times, you know, but a lot of what Adam and I discuss is hard to believe. Sure. So you just kind of have to open up your mind a little bit and say, is is what people are seeing? Could it really be misidentified? Could it really be something that we already know exists that you just don't get a good enough look at? Or you get it from a weird angle and mm-hmm. it looks like something totally different. I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I am, I am really on the fence on this one. Yeah. You know, n- normally I'll come down with, you know, I, I believe this. I don't believe that. I, I truly don't know what I believe when it comes to the, the original story of the Chupacabra. Right. Well, it's about to get worse for you, Matt. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, a lot of y'all know who Nick Redfern is. Nick Redfern is a prolific writer. He writes a lot of um, papers and on all sorts of different research topics. And he he's he researches a little bit of everything. Well, 
in doing Chupacabra research, you can't do it without running across articles from Nick Redfern. And I, I grabbed a few here that I'm going to read to you verbatim from his article because it touches on the experiments and the base in El Yunque there in Puerto Rico. So let's get into it. He says, it turns out that for years, Puerto Rico allegedly had its very own equivalent to the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the Roosevelt Road, Roosevelt Roads Naval Station. I'm just, my tongue's not working right tonight. Um, but it wasn't alien bodies that were cryogenically housed at Roosevelt Roads. It was a bunch of dead chupacabras. There just might have been a couple of living ones there, too. So at least I was told on several of my excursions to Puerto Rico between 2004 and 2015. I was not surprised to find that sifting fact from fiction and legend from rumor proved to be very difficult when it came to trying to unravel the controversial truth about Roosevelt Rhodes' chupacabra stash. The origins of Roosevelt Rhodes date back to just one year after the end of the First World War. It was 1919 when the then Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Navy visited Puerto Rico. That man was none other than the future American President Franklin D. Roosevelt. The visit was no vacation, however. Roosevelt was there on a secret mission. He was focused on finding a suitable location where a military facility could be constructed, one that could act as a strategic outpost for Uncle Sam in the Caribbean. Roosevelt toured the island, finally pinpointing a northeast town called Seba, which was founded back in the 1830s and that today has a population of around 13,000. At the time, while the creation of such a base with an airfield could have been beneficial, it was not perceived as absolutely crucial. Things changed dramatically, however, when Adolf Hitler came to power in 1930s-era Germany. So steps had to be taken to combat the Nazi threat. One of those steps was the creation of Roosevelt Roads, which began in 1940, one year before the terrible events at Pearl Harbor. Roosevelt Roads ultimately became the biggest U.S. Navy base on the planet and the headquarters of the U.S. Naval Forces Southern Command, and it remained that way for decades. He said, on our visit to Puerto Rico in July 2004 with a crew from the Sci-Fi Channel, Monster Hunter John Downs and I heard a story of a UFO crash in the hills of Canovanas in 1957, one which reportedly and quickly led to gross mutations in the local populace. On his first trek around the island back in 1998, John himself was given a number of independent accounts of this 1957 event. One of John's sources was a man named Reuben, a Puerto Rican brought up in New York, but who returned to the island as an adult. Arguably, Reuben was John's most significant source, since he personally took John and a team of the UK's Channel 4 TV crew to the very spot in Canovanas where he claimed the craft from another world slammed into the ground back in 1957. John told me that they came to a big clearing where the path became narrow and on one side disappeared altogether into a huge saucer-shaped arena. This, according to what Reuben had said at least, was where the UFO had crashed. Admittedly, there was a huge indent in the side of the mountain. No trees grew there, and it did 
looked like some huge object had crashed into the mountain, scooping out trees and vegetation and leaving a bare area intermittently covered with patchy grass. So while on Puerto Rico, John and I met with a woman named Norca, a chupacabra witness and someone who had heard of this 1957 tale too. This was not surprising given that it's hardly an unknown case among the people of Puerto Rico. Norca told us most people identified the location as a steep hillside in Canovanas, one that military forces quickly sealed off for a period of around three weeks. Time constraints unfortunately prevented Norca from taking us to the location, but Norca's description of the place strongly suggested they were one and the same. There was something else, too. Most of those that had commented on the incident, specifically when I returned to Puerto Rico in 2008, said that the UFO was accessed by the military. They found within it dead bodies of a number of unearthly creatures, chupacabras. Uh So that's basically saying there was a crash in 57, had chupacabras on there, and they housed these chupacabras in the Roosevelt Roads base. Um, There is also a story of a UFO crashing in the heart of El Yunque in February of 1984. He says, I know that because the basics of the account have reached me on three occasions over more than the past decade. It was early one morning when a large circular-shaped object slammed into the ground immediately after flying over the rainforest in an erratic fashion. To prevent people from learning the truth of the matter, a diversionary tactic was put into place that the UFO was actually a meteorite. Military personnel were soon on the scene, in part, to scoop up the pummeled body parts of a couple of dead chupacabras whose lives came to a sudden and bloody end when the alien craft hurtled violently into the forest at high speed. So an alien craft apparently killed some chupacabras in El Yunque, when it crashed. Now, another one by Nick is of winged chupacabras. And we discussed vampire bats. Mm-hmm. You know, this these will kind of make you feel like it could be a vampire bat. A giant one. A ginormous vampire bat. So in 2004, I headed out to Puerto Rico with a team from the Sci-Fi Channel to make a show on the chupacabra. The show was titled Proof Positive. One of the witnesses was a woman named Norca, who we remember, whose encounter occurred midway through 1975, 20 years before the Chupacabra phenomenon began. It was dusk on a stiflingly hot weekend weekday night, and the atmosphere, as day began to surrender to nightfall, was as normal and tranquil as it has ever been. It wasn't long, however, before normality and tranquility gave way to something hideous. As Norca drove carefully and slowly along the twisting, climbing road, something suddenly surfaced from the huge, dense trees that stood proud and tall, like gigantic green curtains, and which dominated each side of the road. Doing barely 20 miles an hour to begin with, Norca was easily able to slow down as a curious beast loomed into view. Norca, looking into the cameras of the sci-fi channel, said that only about 20 feet in front of her was the strangest, most terrifying animal it had ever been her misfortune to encounter. For all intents and purposes, it looked very much like a bat, 
except, that is, for one astonishing thing. The abomination was around four to five feet high. Not surprisingly, Norka could scarcely believe her eyes as the monster shuffled slowly across the road, its muscular legs taking slow but deliberate strides across the hot tarmac. With her eyes transfixed on the beast, Norka could see that its body was a dark brown color. Two large wings were folded tight against its back. The clawed fingers on its hands that drooped in a curious limp fashion from its bony wrist were of a distinct white-yellow hue. Of a near-identical color were two enormous fangs that protruded from its gaping, almost slack-jawed mouth. Most frightening of all to Norka were the eyes of the creature, focused intently on Norka herself. They were almost blazing, like red-hot coals. It was soon gone from her sight. Also in 2004, Nick received a phone call from a woman that he will call Rosa. He says, I listened both carefully and intently as Rosa told me how on a Friday night around 13 years previously, she was having a night out on the town in San Juan with one of her girlfriends. The evening was normal, fun, and just like any Friday night anywhere on the planet, at least it was until they decided to head home. For reasons which neither Rosa nor her friend could fathom, both developed a sudden and overpowering urge to drive to El Yunque. It was, said Rosa, as if the pair was in kind of a hypnotic haze. Around 1 a.m., they arrived at the base of the rainforest and took a long and winding road, one that I know very well, into its depths. They had driven along the compact coiling road for about 15 minutes when they encountered something that was as remarkable as it was terrifying, a very strange animal making its slow way across the road. Whatever the creature was, it was certainly no regular resident of Puerto Rico. Somewhere in the region of four and a half feet in height, its color was gray. It moved across the road in a curious, tentative fashion, as if, said Rosa, it wasn't even used to walking, and sported a pair of what were undeniably wings on its hunched back. The wings, she added, were so long, they dragged on the ground for a couple of feet behind the beast. There was one more thing. The animal had a pair of self-illuminating red eyes. That much was apparent when it stopped in its tracks and gave the friends an icy stare, after which it continued on its odd, clumsy, penguin-like walk to the left side of the road and vanished into the trees. So, El Yunque, Matt. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> It it sounds it's like the, something's going on. It's the Puerto Rican Area 51. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, how else can you describe it? Yeah. I mean, that that's to me, that's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking along those lines, you know, we're not talking about any animal that, no. you know, was, was ever on this earth. No. And, and was introduced. Yeah, Here. exactly. Yeah. I mean, wings or no wings, you know, maybe maybe even multiples. You know, right. maybe maybe two different creatures. Right. A couple or, different kinds. Or more. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, you know, that that idea is it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, to to, and, to think the government was was housing uh these extraterrestrial creatures. Right. You know, in, in a base in Puerto Rico. Yeah, either as research 
or as keeping them out of the public or whatever. And to hit on your story from earlier, when the hurricane hit, it could have released it. Right. You know, just, I mean, decimated whatever area it had set up in and they have no control over it anymore. You know, before seeing them, maybe it was the accidental escapee here and there, but, you know, or the government wasn't housing them. The aliens were bringing them and the government was trying to wrangle them up. Yeah. You know, so that's one weird theory that maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. You know, know. just just thinking out loud, if if I'm an alien and I'm investigating a place to come drop these animals, you know, an island, pretty, pretty good place. Rainforest. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's it's the only only rainforest within the U.S. Right, and you know not necessarily that they were targeting the U.S., but you know it's it's a rainforest on an island. You know, sure. I mean, you know, let's let's put them there. Yeah, you know, sure. Uh, or or maybe it was even by accident. True. You know, I mean they 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 weren't necessarily meant to be here. Yeah. You know, and they you know they were a part of a crash or they were, you know, transported or, or something, or something, something was introduced to the area that caused animals that we do know to mutate. True. That's very possible. You know, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, something that could be described as a giant vampire bat, you know, if, if, if there was, some unknown element right that was was brought here you know and it, and it you know like the like the radioactive mm-hmm. you know things we see in movies you know it's like Godzilla you know it it creates these you know weird mutant right. animals right you know there that, were that, those couple of crashes so it could have leaked right you know right um I've got a couple more uh letters here this one was written to Joyce Murphy, who is president and founder of the Beyond Boundaries UFO Research Organization. And it was titled Close Encounters of the Chupacabra Kind. Good title. It is. I like it. Uh, We have lived in this current home in California near Hesperia. Hesperia? I I don't know. I've never been there. Um, For two and a half years. And have had several interesting sightings. Some cannot be explained away by normal means. We have been seriously debating sending this to you, as we really didn't want to seem as nuts. This is so unusual for us that at first, when my family was seeing strange things, we all teased each other and thought we were seeing things. The most recent problem we have noticed is a very rapid decrease in the coyote population. Until recently, the coyotes were getting so bold They were eating dog food off our porch. Suddenly, they are just all gone. We don't see them. We don't hear them. Now we aren't so sure. The drop in coyote population has been so sudden and unusual. Since then, we also aren't seeing any rabbits. There are just a few. This time last year, they were everywhere, which I think is why the coyote population was so high. Just starvation would not account for this decrease. 
it would have taken much longer to reach the level of no coyotes. Last month, my pig was going nuts outside. I looked out and didn't see anything, but she was going crazy squealing. As a reenactment educator, I am handy with a sword, and so I went outside with it. I encountered something trying to get to my pig that was unbelievable. When I came around the corner, it stopped and looked up at me. This creature stood on two legs and is a dark, smoky gray. It seemed to be covered by a sort of peach-type fuzz in the same gray color. The eyes are enormous and almond-shaped and appeared to be black. The head was an oval shape that was much wider on the top. The arms had three digits that had very long claws on the ends. They connect at the shoulder. The arms themselves were very thin and gave the appearance of limited power, and yet I watched in fascination as it tore open the chain link of the pig pen almost effortlessly. It resembled a mini person about three to four feet tall and approximately 75 to 80 pounds. When it walked, it has a slumped over gait. It had these spiky things on its back like porcupine quills that seemed to move independently. When I got close, they began to twitch, thoroughly convinced that this thing could launch them if he chose to. My dogs were barking under the house, and when they realized I was out there, they came out and moved toward the thing. They seemed to be afraid of it until I was there to back them up. The thing looked at them, and then at me, and seemed to be afraid of the sword that I was carrying. I had the sword in a striking position. The dog charged the creature, and it took off behind the house, jumping our three-foot fence that sags in the middle. It then disappeared into the bushes. The dogs chased it to the fence, stopped, and came back. I think they were too afraid to go after it. Now I am getting a little worried for my dogs. If this creature or creatures that have exhausted the coyote population will go after them next. This is the first time I have ever seen these creatures. As we are very near the foothills with few neighbors, I will also keep a close watch. We have also made two amazing discoveries in the past few days. First, after a party, as is our usual fashion, we give our pig the leftover soda and beer from the cans. She really loves the beer. That night, this thing came after her. Only when it got close, it raised its head in the air, spun around, and took off. It clearly didn't like the smell of the alcohol. We have been feeding the pig a beer a night since then, and it has been left alone. The other discovery happened after a heavy freeze. We put out some rock salt to melt the ice and to prevent further icing. The next morning, we found three clawed tracks of this thing all around the salt, but it never came inside the salt. We have also created a safety zone around the house in rock salt now as well. The incident, when I stared it down, happened after the rock salt was placed around the grounds. It never once stepped inside the perimeter, merely stood there watching. I can't tell you why these things worked, only that they do. I would highly recommend the techniques to others trying to protect their livestock. This is from Name Withheld. Yeah, I don't want this getting out. No. <laughs> well, did uh, did anybody else think it was kind of funny that they she had a sword? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I'm handy with a sword, so I grabbed mine. Right. I mean, grab what you got, I guess. I mean, I did, you know. What what I kind of found interesting was that it was the mix of the, the chupacabra 
thing. And then the rock salt, which is, you know, in most paranormal cases, you know, salt is cleansing and, right. and you use salt as a protection. Um, that that seems to work as well yeah. on chupacabras. Um, first time I've heard that in the research that we've been doing. But yeah, so so now we've progressed from an alien type being to maybe even a a paranormal type right, creature. Right. So it gets weirder. Yeah. Even even he told me it was going to get weirder. Yeah, and it, I told and it you. did. I told you. You know. The sword really threw me today. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part that Matt couldn't get over. The I'm whole, telling the you, whole I just, story. you just don't hear that. You no, know? not anymore. Yeah, I grabbed my sword. Yep. Uh, okay. Yep. You didn't have a shotgun? Yeah. Well, had a sword. You know. Yeah, well, see, we're in the South. Everybody That's right. here has a shotgun. Everybody's got a shotgun. That's California. They got swords. That's right. <laughs> um, so one other letter. And this was written to Weird US, the website. And this one is called Camp Out with El Chupacabra. It says, it's like a children's book. It is. <laughs> we may have to write it after this. <laughs> Dear Weird US, I have never been a superstitious person. In fact, when people tell me their stories of the supernatural or when I watch Unsolved Mysteries, I usually respond by figuring out a logical reason for whatever happened. I just never bought into all the sort of stuff you guys write about. Until, that is, I saw with my very own two eyes what I will never forget. The legendary Chupacabra. I live in California now, but growing up in Texas and having many Hispanic friends, I had heard a lot throughout my life about the Chupacabra, also known as the Goat Sucker. It was supposed to be a demon-like beast that resembled both lizard and a monkey, that had sharp claws. It would feast on goat's blood, sucking them completely dry. It was supposedly a vicious killer and would not hesitate to kill men. The story of the chupacabra is particularly well known in many Spanish-speaking countries. For my whole life, I dismissed it as a good story, but nothing else. Now, in the summer of 1999, I was camping on my friend's property. There were three of us out that night. We had just graduated high school and were all going off to college in the fall and spent as much time as we could hanging out, goofing off, and doing the sort of dumb things kids that age do. We often camped on Ray's property. We'd make a fire, drink some beers, smoke cigars, that sort of thing. That particular night, Ray seemed out of sorts. He wouldn't tell us what his problem was for the longest time, but after a couple of brews, he loosened up and started talking. He was shaken, he had said. Due to a strange discovery he had made on a road a few miles away from his property a few nights before. He was driving home and had to pee bad enough that he couldn't make it back to his house. So Been there. Yeah, right. So he was peeing when he noticed a dead deer laying in the brush about 10 yards to his right. When he finished his business, he walked over to it like he was drawn to it. He was thoroughly creeped out to see that the deer was not roadkill, as he presumed. Instead, it had three puncture marks around its head and neck. There was no blood around or any sign that the thing had struggled with a predator. It looked like something pounced on it and killed it effortlessly, with no struggle. Ray knew this area like the back of his hand and had never seen anything like it. He couldn't help but think of the story of the chupacabra when he saw it. It really messed his head up. He told us how he couldn't rush fast enough to get away from the scene 
and back to his pickup. Now, Phil and I responded to this heartfelt confession just like a couple of high school kids would. We laughed our butts off and mocked Ray as mercilessly mercilessly as we could for the next few hours before going to bed. I awoke a few hours later to Phil shaking me. Ray was already sitting up. I heard something, Phil said in a panic. I laughed again. The story had gotten to him. Shut up and let me sleep, I told him. He swore that he had heard something. After a couple of minutes, we all calmed down and laid back in our sleeping bags. That's when I noticed something really foul. Literally. Do you smell that? I asked. Both guys told me that they did. There was an intense bad odor infecting the tent, and it was getting worse and worse. It smelled like rotting flesh. We all were on the verge of vomiting. It was decided among us that we needed to get out of the tent and clear out whatever was making that stink. Standing outside, we saw nothing that could have possibly been producing the rancid odor. What we could perceive was that there was something severely off about the area. There wasn't a single sound, no rustling of animals or birds, just silence. That is, until we heard a screech come from the darkness. Ray shined his flashlight in the direction of the sound just in time for us to see a small creature that looked kind of like a really muscular light green monkey with no tail rise up from behind a rock. The thing had bristly hair and big bug eyes. It clearly had sharp teeth and it was bearing them at us and claws. It took off out of the light. Ray tried to follow it but couldn't find it. We were all freaking out. We took off sprinting the considerable distance back to Ray's house, leaving the tent and all our stuff behind. The next morning, we made our way back to the campsite, only to find that the tent had holes torn into it and our belongings were scattered about. We stopped camping out. I still see those guys whenever I visit my parents' house, and we still talk about our run-in with the infamous Chupacabra. That night made a believer out of us. So, and then I saw its face. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another California one. So apparently California has some of the the more traditional looking chupacabra. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those stories are pretty scary. Right. I mean, you know, we we've come full circle here. I mean, from everything that occurred in 95 to a progression to this tremendous horrifying creature that you know attacks livestock all through the southern u.s and latin america Mm -hmm. you know we've looked at you know hybrid Dogs and coyotes with mange and alien reptiles and mm-hmm. and everything. And all of these things have been considered at some point to be the chupacabra. Right. So what do you think? Yeah, so please we, tell us. We have we have thrown a, a ton of information about the chupacabra at you. So tell us what you think. You know, do you believe it's it's an alien? Do you believe it's, you know, some type of hybrid dog? Do you think it's just what most authorities say? Do you think it's a, it's a coyote or, or something similar with mange? Um, you know, we want to know because, as I said just before we got into these last stories, I don't. 
Me either. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if, if I, if I believe it, I, I do believe that these people have had, you know, terrifying experiences mm-hmm. seeing a creature that they can't identify regardless of what the description is. And there's just so many reports of these attacks on animals that I do kind of believe that there is something out there mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. that can attack an animal in this fashion. Um, but I don't know what it is. Right. Yeah. No. I don't, I'm with you. I don't have, normally we've got theories of our own. I really don't at this point, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's all over the map on this one. And I think part of that is the, you know, the allure of the chupacabra. Right. You know, I, and it's impossible to pin down saying this is the chupacabra. These other things are something else. Right. You know, we don't, we don't know. Um, and I think there's still not enough evidence for anybody else to say, yeah, that's exactly what it no, is. We, because when you when you hear stories like this from from people camping or from people describing creatures that have approached their their homes, um, you know, you, you, you don't really know. No. We need more evidence. Yeah. You know. Some somebody is gonna have to somebody's gonna have to find some more physical evidence of a creature mm-hmm. you know and, and i'm thinking if you've got a creature that is you we've heard the description of three three-fingered hands you know with claws mm-hmm. surely something like that is leaving scratch marks or prints yeah. sure. or something that couldn't be attributed to another animal right right so, you know when we start seeing those kind of things you know, then, then maybe I can, uh, I can, I can shape my opinion on it more. Right. But for now, yep. I don't know. We're as lost as anybody else. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a lot of fun to talk about. So. Sure. So, all right. So, um, this is a wrap on our Chupacabra episode. We hope, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, we hope you join us again, uh, for our next episode. Um, it's something that uh, I'm just going to lay a hint out there. Oh, it's, it's something that uh, when I when I pitched this to Adam, we had talked about it before, um, but we have not heard a show discuss our next topic. Right. So this is something I guarantee all of you have heard about, but I I doubt you've heard some of these. Uh, some of these legends and stories. Right. And they are, they are super cool. And it won't be next week because we're off next we're week. We're off next week. So, so we've got we, we've got some time to really work on this and uh, and knock your socks off. Right. So uh, so join us on our next episode. And, and join us online. Um, if you're not in our Facebook group, jump in there. I mean, we got Amanda B's story tonight, and that was, that was awesome. We love getting that kind of stuff. And... We get these stories in our Facebook group all the time. It's a Graveyard Tales uh, group on Facebook. We also have a Facebook page for the show. As Adam said, we we just passed a thousand likes on our Facebook page. So go on Facebook, search Graveyard Tales. You can do that on Instagram and on Twitter. You can uh, you can get some upcoming uh, you know events that we've got going on. Uh, you can get insight to the shows. You can. 
interact with other listeners and go on iTunes, rate and review us on iTunes. That's the easiest way people can find us. Um, it, it keeps us, you know, higher up on the charts so that uh, we can bring more people into the graveyard. Right. Don't forget, October 20th uh, is our live event at Hail Dark Aesthetics in Nashville with Hillbilly Horror Stories, EVP Mediums, and Macabre Melts. Tickets are 10 bucks. Uh, go out there, get them, make your plans, get here. It's going to be a really, really good time. Um, as Adam mentioned tonight, the outro music is by, is by Proteus. Uh, if you, if you dig what you hear, um, go to iTunes and you can download the rest of the song. Um, eventually, eventually, yep. eventually you're getting a sneak peek. Yeah, this is, this is a sneak peek. And so, um, so we really appreciate uh, Brandon coming up with our, our original theme song. So we um, we want to thank him and and give a shout out to his band Proteus. So until uh, until our next time, we'll uh, save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Effect the side of the kills your city of Athens.